listening to his voice. You know, as a child, we all get told by our mom and dads, now, you better hear what I tell you and you better obey. How many of you have heard that? I think we've all heard him say, you better listen or you're going to get in trouble. My mom was from Czechoslovakia. And she never used her foreign language. She learned English when she went to kindergarten. She didn't speak English. Her dad was born there, came here in 16, and served in the World War II, never graduated school or anything, but came and immediately served. Um, his parents were here. Grandma's parents were here. They're all from over there. So my mom didn't know English, so she had to learn it in school. She wouldn't teach it to us. You know why? She didn't want us to know. She's talking about on the phone to her family. And so she'd keep it to herself. She taught me I want a drink. And she taught me um, I'll get after you. So we know those words. But outside of that, we didn't know anything else. But we knew we better listen when she said, listen, or you're going to get in trouble because we knew what it meant. You know, and a lot of times in, in now, we can all think of a time when God has told us to do something. Have you ever been told by God you're supposed to do something and thought, oh, it's not me, or it's not God, it's me, I'm not going to go do that. And we don't do it because we don't double check or anything. Sometimes we walk in obedience, but sometimes we question God. But when we do, it always gets us in trouble. It never turns out the way that we thought it would. Well, there's somebody in the Bible in the Old Testament named Jeremiah. And, you know, he went out and he talked to those Israelite people that you've heard about over the years. And through time you hear about them in church a lot. But they didn't like to listen to God very much, let alone obey. They were these rebellious people that were just out there. They were the problem children in the Old Testament. They did a lot of things because they wouldn't listen. And so in that process, because they wouldn't listen, they ended up 70 years in captivity in Babylon. Now, was it worth them not listening? You know, what a way to go. So it's better to listen. So when God speaks to us, he points us in the right direction. We might always question and wonder, is this the way I'm supposed to go? If he's telling you that, then we need to walk in obedience to that instead of saying, you know, I'd rather go over here because this is going to be more fun. I think I like this side better. But when he tells you to walk on this side the street, you better walk on this side the street. We need to listen to his voice and obey. I want to tell you, what we do affects our destiny. And when we don't walk in obedience and we're walking in disobedience, he's going to have to bring you back because it's impacting your destiny. And we all want to get to our destiny. And that's going to require that you listen to him and obey. It's not enough just to listen. So let's go ahead and open up in a moment of prayer and then... We'll go from there. So, Father, I thank you for each one that is in this house this hour. I thank you, Father God, that last night as I walked and I prayed for each one of them, Father, you called them out by name specifically. Lord God, you brought them in in this hour because you knew which service they needed to be seated in. You knew which seat you would have them in. Father, you've been working on their hearts, preparing them for the word that you sent. I thank you, Lord God, and I ask that you would reach into that heart right now and, Lord, even soften it more. And I ask, Lord God, that you give them ears to hear, but more than that, ears to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. For Lord, in this hour, we need you more than ever because we want more. We want a greater outpouring. And Father, we will not settle for second rate. We are 
the children of God, and we win. We are victorious. We will overcome. And so, Father, we just ask right now that you bless this word and bless each one as they listen. In the name of Jesus, amen. So it's an incredible hour that we're living in. How many of you know that there are things going on in this world that we have never seen before? We have no idea how to handle them. And we're looking at everybody and saying, well, what's the problem with this one, that one? And, you know, we're seeing all this stuff. The things are in upheaval. And it's extremely confusing. And the Bible has a word for it. It's called perilous times. Now, you may have heard that word, but a lot of times it's not something that people speak on because it's not a feel-good word. It tells you all the problems that's going wrong. Well, perilous times carries the idea with it to reduce strength. So all these things are going to come against us to reduce strength. The enemy wants to reduce strength in the church, in the body of Christ, in individuals. And he comes in in multiple ways so that we don't have the power. He wants to convince you you can't do that. But I'm here to tell you today, you are more than conquerors. You walk in victory. You carry an anointing. And you are called for such a time as this. Satan has mobilized and he has deployed his enemies to attack in every area imaginable in this hour. There are those who no longer have the confidence that anything can change. We look at what's going on and we want to give up. We want to quit. We get discouraged. We become overwhelmed and we begin to feel hopeless because we don't know how this is ever going to change. It changes because God is on the move. He has not laid it down and he has sent each one of you here for such a time as this. You have the assignment that it's going to take to move out the enemy and to bring heaven down to earth in the fullness that he desires to move in. So how do we remain faithful? We have to trust in God. And we have to listen to his voice. But most of the time, those things get shoved out of the way because our emotions get in the way. We must live according to God's time. You see, God's got a calendar and we have a calendar. God doesn't operate in our calendar. He operates in the kingdom of heaven's calendar. It is about his kingdom. It is about his calendar. And so it is our responsibility to understand what he's doing. It's our responsibility to know the signs and the times and what's going on. He has given us the ability to understand what heaven is doing in the midst of everything that is going on. Do you know what heaven is doing right now? They're working strategically. There are plans. And he is going to be releasing the more in the earth. And if you do not hear his voice, you will not hear him speak to you what he's about to do. But the more is coming. And there is such a release coming into this earth. There is going to be something that we have never seen before. Something we have never witnessed. I came through the charismatic movement. I've seen a lot of things. I've read about the awakenings that have happened. But eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God is about to do in this hour. Amen. 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 The sons of Issachar understood and they discerned the times with knowledge and they and of what should be done at the precise 
moment. A lot of times we may know what God's doing and we want to jump ahead of him and run ahead. He has a plan, a precise time for everything. There is nothing that he cannot handle at the appointed time. And as I said at the first service, there is an appointed time for a new church to arise in this city that will be built by City Point. We are here right now, but there is a church that will be released in the fullness. And God knows, and he knows exactly when. And we need to be praying into that precise moment that we step into what God is doing. We don't want to walk in the things of this world or the things of man. Only that which God has said. To do that, we need to remain connected to the Holy Spirit. And we need to know the times we're in because he will tell us. The Apostle Paul, I love the Apostle Paul. I cannot wait to get to know him. And I love the guy that's instructing in our class. I'm listening to a video of my friend from in Texas. He says, I'll probably be in heaven a couple thousand years before I have time to go talk to Paul because I'll be in the face of God all the other time wanting to get to know him. And isn't that the truth? But if you ever study Paul, such an amazing man. So amazing. He laid it all down and he counted the cost and he said it's worth it. He never gave up. And Paul is in prison at the end of his life. He's in a cold prison cell in Rome, a prison that we don't understand or comprehend what it would have been like. It was uglier than anything you can imagine. Our jail cells are a mansion compared to what he had, but we don't understand that. It's 30 years after Pentecost, 30 years after Pentecost. And you know what's happening now? People are beginning to fall away, walk away 30 years after Pentecost. Is it any wonder that throughout the years we have seen people fall away? It began back then. And God said, well, I'm going to pull this all back together because I have a mighty plan. And then he reaches in and he begins to speak to those that listen. And they go after the others and they begin to pull back what the enemy has tried to steal. There wasn't much time left in his life. He's at the end and he knows his death is imminent. He knows they're going to be killing him. And he picks up a pen, a quail pen. And maybe it's his last pastoral epistle, his last letter that he writes. But he chooses in his last moments to write a letter to his protege, Timothy. Could you imagine somebody's last thoughts? They valued you so much, they penned a letter to you. You're on their heart. Paul had laid hands on Timothy in the very beginning. And he called him his beloved son. And he spoke into his life. He instructed him. He equipped him. He raised him up. He sat him in as a pastor in Ephesus. He worked with him. When they needed correction, he was there. And you know they went back and forth. A lot of people had let Paul down. A lot of people had turned on him. But Timothy was still in his life and walked with him through his final hours. Not only did all this happen from Paul, but Paul also encouraged him how to endure. 
Paul endured and he lived it as an example and he knew that he was going to have to endure in the coming days. And so he spoke that into him because he had to know this isn't all fun and games, Timothy. There's going to be a lot of work, a lot of persecution, a lot of straining to endure what the people are going to say about you and do to you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. They're going to say lies about you, but you will endure because you are called for such a time as this. Now he writes his final letter to him. This time he's writing to exhort him, to encourage him, and to warn of the difficult days that are coming. He has seen and he knows what's coming. And his heart breaks for the one that he had worked with, spoken into. He wanted what he could do for him. He wanted to help him in any way he could. So he's sitting there and warning him. And through his concern, he writes in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, but know this in the last days, but know this. Don't forget those three words, but know this. Those are powerful words, but know this, that in the last days, and we are in the last days, and everybody says, oh, they've been saying that for years. It is the last days. I'm getting close enough to the end to tell you my last days are coming, but I'm helping entering in his last days that are going to touch this earth. It is his last days, and he would that all men be saved. If you read Revelation, you know he is delaying his return because he loves more than we can understand or comprehend. And it is out of that place of love, he writes, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Powerful last sentence. From those people, turn away. Because those people are deceivers. And they will influence you in an ungodly way. And he's warning him, don't come in alliance with them. Don't align with them. Align with the, your God. Align with him and him alone and walk in what he has called you to walk in. Paul wrote, but know this, be on guard, watch, pay attention, be awake. Don't turn your head from what's going on and, and, and not care. You've got to care. He used a Greek word, gnosko, which means this message is so critical that it must be made known. It's imperative. It's not optional. Whatever the Holy Spirit was about to say after this was so important for them to hear that it was not optional. It must be known and it also must be understood. Each one of those words, each 19 of those are imperative that we understand what they are, not to skim over them and in our culture put on a meaning to them of what we think they mean, because they go far deeper. Their roots are deeper. When you do studies, you study through the root of the word to get the full meaning of it. You don't just skim over it and think you've got it. 
Tim Sheets in his book of New Era of Glory writes, while it's impossible for God to become more glorious than he already is, it is possible for him to reveal more of that glory to us than he has ever revealed before. There is no scripture that ever says the glory of the Lord will decrease on the earth. It speaks of increase every time. Yes, darkness increases on the earth, but when it does, God's glory increases upon his people. The darkness is increasing all around us. But God's glory is increasing all the more because it has never been as strong as it is now. We have never experienced this measure of glory. We are talking about all the things going wrong in this world. We keep pointing to them. Why not point to the glory of God that is increasing? Do you see it? Do you feel it? Are you aware of it? Or have you been slumbering? Are we asleep? Have we become numb to the presence of God? It's time that we fully awake to what God is doing, not in portion, but in full. We're in a time when many are experiencing trials and we're wondering, well, what's going on? It just seems like the body Christ is just keeps going through one thing after another thing. Well, I want to tell you that trials reveal what's in us. And they exercise our faith and sometimes God sees what's in us and what he needs to get out of us. Because he needs us. He has an assignment for us. And if we keep carrying that in our heart and in who we are, it won't work. He's got to get it out of us. And so there are things that we go through. And it may be that our faith needs to increase and that we need to walk in a greater level than what we have walked in before. So God allows trials in order to develop perseverance and endurance in us. And trials are intended to strengthen our character. So if your character is a little chipped, has a few issues in it, guess what? He'll bring a trial just to straighten out your character. So you better deal with your character flaws or you'll be walking through something you don't want to walk through. I brought a picture with me today, a couple of them. The first one is a picture of our family barn. My great-grandfather and my grandfather built the barn in 1931. They built our entire farm. We bought the land out there and um, it stood up pretty well. It's not painted, not very pretty in that picture. But in its day, we never had a red barn. We always had a white barn. Everything was white on our farm. It was really cool. As time went, the barn began to age. And as it aged, the storms and the trials of time began to take their toll on it. And it began not to look as nice the hail would hit it, the paint would chip off, you'd leave it go, you wouldn't do nothing with it, it's just a farm building. But eventually you'd paint it. It had a little bit of character in those times. But then all of a sudden it had some character issues. So issues have to be dealt with, which meant my dad needed to replace some of the siding. So in 1962, all the weather siding that needed to be replaced was done. In the next picture, that's the siding that got replaced. Um, I want to point out one thing because I don't want you to be confused about this. Over here on the right side, that's the 1931 siding. Over here on this left side for you is the 1962 siding. Which side stood up better? The 1931 is still standing up better after all this time. There has been tornadoes, wind, hail, sleet, rain, snow, sun, dust, livestock, grain, and kids. Four generations. 
that have utilized this building. And it still stands today. But what happened to that siding? Why did it fail? The new siding failed. Demand for lumber during World War II, which was 1939 to 1945, led to speed being the priority of shipments. They wanted to get it there as fast as they could for construction. And as a result, green lumber began to be shipped. People accepted something that wasn't as good as what they had had. They settled for less. Wartime forced manufacturers to produce lumber as cheaply as possible. And they began to substitute lower grade lumber. And by the 1950s, the government stepped in and reduced the standards of quality that was required to build structures. They compromised. So today, we're building with the lower grade that doesn't stand up as well compared to the earlier homes that were built with something that would endure and last. There was a quality in the old that wasn't passed down because of the compromise. You can see it in the depth and the width of it and the height of it. It's not the same. It wasn't as straight because it was green. And so when it begins to dry, green will always begin to warp. It doesn't dry straight if it's not cured right. And it wasn't being cured right on that building. And then there was the durability, strength, and endurance that weren't there. And because of that, because it was green, when it got dry, it cracked and began to chip away and began to have a lot of other issues. And it wasn't going to make it as long as the older siding did. So some of the 1931 siding failed, but not all of it. Paint sealer would have helped, but there were times it was neglected. We would get busy, so we weren't always able to go out there and paint that building. That building out there, that, it was huge. We had a lot of buildings on our farm. So we had the house, we had a feed shack, we had a Quonset, we had a pig place uh, barn, we had a horse stalls, we had this barn, we had all kinds of buildings out there. And to paint all that was no small project. And we always had a hired hand, but even at that, we were out in the fields working, so we didn't have time. So we would neglect what needed to be done. Paint seals and protects from outside elements, just like the Holy Spirit seals and protects us from things that are outside. If you've never experienced the Holy Spirit, you need him in your life. God recently spoke a word to me about the generations, and I don't even remember why or how it came up when he was talking to me. I'm sure I was studying something. But it, he said to me, it's not that you have so much to give, but it's what the other generations, how much they have need of, how much they have to do. I misquoted that. It's not that I have so much to give, but it's how much they have to do. And sometimes we get this attitude that we have done so much over our lifetime. And we do this. It doesn't matter what our age is. We always think we know more than the other generations. But can I tell you, we need to look out 
there and realize that there is a lot of work to be done in the kingdom yet before the return of Christ. And the people that are coming after me, after you, they have a lot of work to do. They have much to do. And so we're called to speak into their lives, but it's more than that. It's just as Paul said, we need to exhort, encourage, and warn of the difficult days to come. We need to see things through God's eyes. We need to see what God is doing. We try to superimpose what we know to do or what we've done on them. But do you see through God's eyes or are you on your own calendar from whenever or are you walking in God's calendar of the Kairos time, the perfect time? We need to listen to his voice. It's about his purposes. We all have assignments. And those assignments fulfill his purpose here on earth. We were commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples, right? He called us to do that, to fulfill his purpose. I've been running in my assignment for many years. And when I'm done, I want to hear the words, well done. But in the meantime, I want to continue to run the race well. It isn't time to stop. No matter what age I reach, that is irrelevant. I feel the age coming, but it will not stop me. Ages of this world, and I'm about kingdom business. Whose business are you about? I want to encourage the next generations. I want to build them up. I want to tell them what an awesome job they're doing. They have had to learn things and will have to learn more things than I ever did. They'll have to do things that I was never required to do for the Lord. I need to pray for them, speak into their lives, and hold them up and direct them in all of their ways to the Lord. I want to finish strong. Tim Sheets also wrote, we must be able to speak our faith, not doubts. Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her she would have a son. And she said, how's this possible? Then Gabriel appeared unto Zechariah and told them they would have a son. So he responds, how do I know what you say is true or not? He challenged what was said. Big difference in the responses. One was in faith and the other was in doubt. We don't always understand God's ways. And can I tell you that God's ways are higher than our ways. I want to walk in the higher ways, the higher places. I don't want to walk in shallowness. I want to walk in the depth of the Lord as deep as I can get with him. I'm going there. I am going there with him. Gabriel went on to say in Luke 1:37, with God, nothing is impossible. He used a Greek word rhema for nothing. We've, we throw that scripture out there. You're going through something. Oh, with God, nothing's impossible. What's that mean to you? Absolutely nothing. It has cost you nothing but a word that you have memorized and you throw it out like it makes no difference. God's word is all powerful. It matters. And so does the living word our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has come to speak into our lives. We learn by the living word and the written word. We learn by them both. So that with God, nothing is impossible. That word nothing is rhema. 
Rhema is nothing. Rhema means a word that God speaks fresh to us. It isn't left over from yesterday or last year. It's a word you got now, but you won't have it if you aren't seeking it. You won't have it if you don't listen to him. It's a word of promise that the Holy Spirit breathes fresh anointing on, causing it to come alive in us. Have you ever had a word spoken to you or heard him speak? And it comes alive. And there is absolutely nothing that can stop it. I remember every one of those. The other ones cheer me on and they make me, help me get through the circumstances. But they don't stick the same way. But a rhema word from the Holy Spirit penetrates into the depths of your soul and your spirit and it causes you to say yes with fire and with passion the word impossible in Greek is a word which means impotent weak or unable what Gabriel said was Mary no rhema word God says to you is impotent. So no rhema word that God speaks to you is impotent. But God, if God didn't give you the word, it's going to be impotent. It's not going to have the power to accomplish because it is not a word that you received from him. It's one you just want to throw out there and, and make it better. You cannot throw it out. You have to seek his face. You have to know his heart. You have to know what he's doing. It's going to cost you something to walk with him. Do you want to hear him? That's what he's saying to us today. Some of you may be in situations right now that you feel it's impossible. I can't, I can't change it. It's just going that direction. But I want to ask you, what does God say? Have you heard from him? Or are you declaring, it's lousy, it's impossible, this can never work. You just went out and you don't want to listen. Too much of that in our culture and in this nation. And it's time we listen to what God says and then when he speaks to us to respond in obedience because then we have a responsibility and I dare say that some of you don't want to hear what he's saying because there comes with it responsibility to do what he says and it's better to do it my way than have to be responsible to him continuing on when Luke 8 verse 23 it says, but as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. There was danger. And they came to him and awoke him saying, master, master, we're perishing. And then he arose and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey. They saw the storm all around them, and they were fearful of the power of that storm and what it could do to them. They could be destroyed. And they went to him with the problem. They went, master, master, there's a storm out here. It's going to kill us. When he was right there beside them, and instead of rejoicing, 
God, you're walking right here with us. Thank you for your holy presence. I thank you that you are fully aware of everything that's happening. And you are here, the, our protector, watching over us. He was there. Did they think he wanted to die out there too? Did they not realize fully who he was? So why did Jesus ask, where is your faith? It's not that the storm wasn't dangerous. It's not that it wasn't all around them. But it was because Jesus knew what was inside of them. And what was inside of them needed to change. They couldn't remain the way they were. This was a moment of transformation. Distractions. Distractions. That storm distracted them. We have distractions. We have problems in our life every day. And, and we look at the problems and, and they overwhelm us. If you ask somebody how they are, you're going to hear about a problem a lot of times. And, and yet, you know, that's what we're good at. We're very good about talking about that instead of seeing what Jesus is doing in the midst of it. A distraction is something that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. These storms in our life distract us from giving our full attention to Jesus. He desires that we would see him and give him glory, give him honor with a thankful heart for all that he has done. The storm took their focus away from the one that was with them. Our nature is to pay attention to storms. We focus on issues. And then what happens? We get depressed. We wonder why we're depressed because we're looking at the wrong thing. We're not looking at Jesus. We're looking at our problems. Our vision is impaired and we think we need glasses. We need the Holy Spirit so that we can see clearly. We need to listen. We need to step into position and walk with him in the way we're called to walk. You see, the thing that you pay attention to is the thing that you fuel. It is the thing that you empower. So if you give your attention to your problem, guess what it's going to do? It's going to increase. And if not in the natural, in your mind and your heart. And it will overtake you because the enemy is out after the victory. He doesn't want you walking in victory. He wants to steal it from you. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Never underestimate the areas that he sneaks in on. When we trust God, we listen to him. When we trust God, we listen to him. Why do you think in God we trust is being removed from our currency? Because the world wants us to listen to it and to trust it. They're trying to remove God from the equation. But our God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He reigns supreme. And he cannot be moved. The earth and the fullness thereof is his. There is absolutely nothing that he cannot stand against. And if he gets some people that would arise in these last days during these perilous times, we can raise havoc with what the enemy is trying to do. He is trying. He is not succeeding because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So I want to ask you, do you trust God? Do you walk out what he tells you? 
Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, not some of them, all your ways. Through it all, through it all, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Jesus, throughout his ministry, said multiple times, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Hearing and listening are in the Bible over a thousand times. That's huge. Over a thousand times. If you don't, I want to back up a minute. Hearing is passive. You hear sounds. So we can hear doors open and shut. If you're in the car, you can hear horns beeping. You don't have to be paying attention to anything to hear it. It happens. You can ask a teacher, they can tell when a student isn't listening, when they're wandering around, because listening requires paying attention. It requires focus. And the reason for that, there is something that's called obedience that is going to follow it, because you need to listen, because this is probably going to be on the test. And if you haven't listened to him, you won't pass the next test because you won't know how to walk in obedience fully. So many of us in this hour are listening passively, and the Spirit of God wants us to hear him fully. I want to share a testimony with you quickly. I lived in Minnesota for a couple years with my first husband, John. He was an alcoholic, and our marriage was struggling. I legally separated from him for a while, but then we reconciled, but we didn't reconcile all the issues. And the issues were many. There was a lot of things. He was in a very dark place. In 1979, he lost his job, and he took a job in another state. And he said, we're moving. But I didn't know about the we in it. I needed to know what to do, so I went to some friends and I wanted prayer. I went to my church family and everybody said, don't move, don't move, don't move. My pastor said, don't move, don't go. They knew what was going on and they knew it was going to escalate to a higher level from where it was, and it did. But at the same time, I needed to hear what God said to me. More important than anything in my life is following after the Lord in obedience with all my heart in every way that I can. There'll be times I'm going to fail, and I do, but I also know the importance of listening. So I decided to go on a three-day fast. I said, okay, God, I'm going to fast these three days so you can talk to me in these three days. You don't bargain with God. It never works because he doesn't do it the way you think he should be doing it. So my fast ended. The three days were over. During those, that fast and in the morning, I'd prepare breakfast for John and Mike and Ryan and go to the bedroom and I'd kneel beside the bed and I would pray for an hour. I gave up food to give him my time. So I switched those two. That's the purpose of a fast. You give up something to give that time to him. So when my hour was up, I got up and I'd go do the dishes and and go about my day. Lunchtime came. I prepare their meal, set the table, put the food there for them, go in the bedroom, and I would kneel. 
And I would pray for an hour. And when my hour was up, I would get up. If I don't fall over. I would get up and go in and do the dishes. And maybe I'd study that afternoon and do some other things. Play with the kids because they were one and three. They were little. They weren't very big. Then evening came. I'd prepare the meal, set the table, put the food on. I'd go into the bedroom and I'd kneel and I'd pray for an hour. Did that for three days. And he didn't answer me. And I thought, okay, so he'll speak when he's ready. And I told him that. So I went to bed that night. And to this day, I'll never be able to tell you. I don't know if I was asleep or if I was awake. I don't know if I had a dream or a vision. I don't know what was going on. I was laying in the bed. And all of a sudden, I saw a tunnel come over me. It was coming down on me. And I looked over in the corner And there was a chair in that corner, and I saw an angel standing there. But it wasn't just any angel. It was an archangel. It was huge. I couldn't see any feet. It stood through the chair. It it bumped into the ceiling. I don't know how big it really was. It was very colorful. It was very, very pretty. It had on this garment that didn't have a pattern I've ever seen before. And it was swirling. The colors were all mixing. Everything about it was just swirling around. It was glorious to see. And I looked up and I saw his face. And I couldn't see it. I could see it, but I can't tell you what it looked like. It was all translucent. I could see through him. I could see him, but he's translucent. And then my attention is drawn back to the tunnel. And the tunnel had begun to swirl on the inside and it kept swirling and it kept swirling. It was such a brilliant white color. It was all the lights of the universe turned on multiple times. It was without description until that swirling covered my entire body and I was in that tunnel with him. I know this to this day, I know that that was angels dancing before the Lord, singing praises. And as they praised him, it enlarged. His presence increased all the more. And then my gaze went upward. And I saw where the tunnel kind of capped off. But at the top were these clouds, translucent. And I realized I was under an open heaven. I could see movement in the clouds. I could identify, you know, little speckly things and stuff. I knew that there was movement. I could see the stuff moving. But I couldn't see anything. Then all of a sudden, I heard his voice. And he said to me, this move is essential in order for me to complete the work that I've begun in your life. Wow, that was cool. So I said, what work? Just what he expected. He knew me. He created me. So he comes back at me and he says, that's not for you to know. This move is essential in order for me to complete the work in your life that I've begun. And I had audacity, all right. And I said, what work? And he again says to me, that's not for you to know. This move is essential in order for me to complete the work that I've begun in your life. Those words were so audible, so loud to me. And I've heard his audible voice before multiple times. But they were so loud to this day. I hear him speaking. I see the angels. I see this tunnel. It's all alive. What's from him doesn't pass away. It is for all eternity. Then all of a sudden, it was over. I was laying there wide awake in his presence. 
In the morning, I got up and I told John, I'm moving with you. I didn't understand fully what was going on. But we would move, and we would be in a town in Nebraska six months, and I would be part of starting an aglow and part of planting a church that was not planned in that city prior to our arrival. Then we would move six months later to a town in Kansas, and three months later, I was diagnosed with advanced carcinoma cancer, stage five, with six weeks to live, and God miraculously healed me. What if I hadn't listened? What if I hadn't sought God? If I hadn't listened to that voice and obeyed him, I don't know that I'd be here today. But God had a plan for my destiny. What you do affects your destiny. And before you do it, you better know without a doubt, thus saith the Lord in your life, the power of God is unlimited. We find in scriptures that Jesus was not driven by the opinions of others, but led by the voice of God. He is our example. Whose example are you following? I have a video that I want you to watch and then we'll close. I was in Alaska doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. The pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much, but I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you gotta do it, you gotta do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane and I looked at it and I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up. And it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're going <laughs> to. And I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway, the plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing, and it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing, and we flew probably three, four minutes, and something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me, and he said, we're going in the clouds, and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? Now, it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds, and you can't see anything. And he looks at me, and his eyes roll back in his head. And he starts mumbling, and he passes out. Passed out cold. Now, I grabbed him, and I shook him, and I said, come on, you got to wake up so I can kill you. Now, we're in the clouds, flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there, and I handed him the microphone, and I said, start asking for help. 
So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, Tell we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not gonna obey my voice, you're gonna die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're gonna crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice? Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand? Without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage. And there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm just my voice he said if you start watching the storm you will die but I'll take you through it now because they cleared all the traffic several pilots those nighttime freighters those 747 started talking to us they said we're praying for you men you're gonna make it but listen to the voice that's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices and everybody in this world wants to talk to you and everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now I'm gonna line you up. He said, I'm gonna bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop, and the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. 
They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room in about four in the morning. The knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through. A living sacrifice, holy. I love that video. It says so much to us. And sometimes we take the things of this world for granted and don't realize everything that God has set in there for us to see him. He is everywhere if we look for him, if we listen to him. Today, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to know him. I'd love to introduce him to you. He is the most awesome person I have ever met in my life. He has never forsaken me. He has never forgotten me. He has never let me down. He's the only one that died for me. And one day, I walked into him and I knocked on that door. And he said, come in. He's knocking on your door. And he says that whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Is there anybody here today that has never met Jesus Christ and invited him into their life as Lord and Savior? One day, I want to see all of you in heaven. I don't want one of you missing. God brought you here for a purpose. He loves us more than we can ever understand. It's so overwhelming, his love. Such a wonderful love. Maybe today you've accepted him as your savior, but you haven't been walking with him. You, he's not the Lord of your life. You're doing things your way. And you want to reconnect with him. Or maybe you've lost that burning passion that you once had. And it's time to get that back. Or maybe you're going through some struggles and you're feeling discouraged. We all have them. At the end, the prayer team will be up here to pray with you if you want individual prayer. But I want to pray for you right now. So if you'll just close your eyes and enter into his presence, Father, I come before you.
with a heart, Lord, that loves you more than I can say. You are the most awesome thing in my life, the only thing that matters. Lord, you have held us so close and you are continuing calling out to us. You desire that we walk with you, that we listen to you, and that we be obedient to you. My heart's desire, Lord, is to walk with you all the days of my life, to know you in such an intimate way that everything, every care of this world passes away. And one day, Lord, I'll walk hand in hand with you face to face. You are so amazing. I pray, Father, for each one here today that their ears hear what you're saying to them, that they'll listen and walk in obedience, Father, because in that obedience, they'll find the blessing they never knew was there. So, Father, I thank you for this day for the honor and privilege you gave me and for speaking to my heart and giving me this word to bring. Be glorified, I pray, in Jesus' name.